0: Our passage this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, we're in chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 14. If you don't have a Bible with you there, you'll find a pew Bible in front of you and this is on page 976 of your pew Bible. Before we read, uh, let's pray together. Let's pray. Father, we come before You now, before Your Word, and we ask that You would open it up to us. We ask that You would be so gracious as to speak to us. Father, there is very little we can know about You unless You reveal it to us, and You've done that for us in the pages of Scripture. We pray that You would quicken us by Your Spirit. Lord, what we're doing here right now will be um, simply a waste of time if you don't show up and meet us. So we ask you to do that for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 1, verses 3-14. through Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us And all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is uh, the second week in our series on the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians for the next several months. Um, After church last Sunday, somebody told me they'd been a a part of a church in the past where the pastor preached through the book of Ephesians for three years. So we're, We're not going to do this for three years. We are going to be in Ephesians for a few months, though. And uh, today we're we're looking at these verses, verses three through fourteen. Now you're, you're going to find that the title for the sermon in your in your bulletin has has very little to do with what I'm going to say today. Um, after I turned that in to the powers that be, I realized later that we really need to spend two weeks in this uh, in this passage. So we're gonna we're gonna be looking at two questions over the next couple weeks. We're gonna be looking at the questions: What is God up to in the universe? And how is it that we become a part of that? How do we participate in that? So today, we're just going to look at the first of these. What what is God up to? Now, if you're wondering, I'm I'm not just shouting and then whispering. We've got a new mic that we're working out, so we're working out the kinks in this. Um, First question, what is God up to? That's what we're going to look at today. Now, how you answer this question has profound implications for the way you live everything about your life. Um, but it's it's a question you don't really tend to think about consciously very often, or I don't. You, d- you don't wake up in the morning and your feet hit the ground and you think, what is God up to in the universe today? How can I be a part of that? Uh, if you're like me, you're stumbling to the kitchen, you're hoping you remembered to set the coffee timer last night so that you don't have to make the coffee, that you can go get a cup, that you can sit down, maybe have a few quiet moments before your kids wake up. You know, we're not, we're not dwelling on the profound questions of the world, maybe when we first wake up. But this text brings up the question for us of what's really an ultimate question. What is God? What's he up to? What's, what's he doing now maybe you're here this morning and you're really not even sure that there that there is a God. So to ask this question, you're not even sure it's a legitimate question. Is there a God out there? Is there anyone paying attention to us? Is there anyone who stands behind the work of the universe? Does it really make sense to ask this question? Maybe you look around uh, the world and from your vantage point, you, there, there's a lot of good in the world and there's a lot of things that are really messed up. And you look at those and you're, you're just not sure which one really carries the day at the end. And you wonder, um, is God really that involved? Is he really up to anything? Or is he sort of standing back from a distance just watching what we're up to? If he has any purposes, then maybe they're basically hidden and unknowable. Or maybe you'd say, um, what's God's purpose in the world? God's purpose in the world is to save sinners. To take people who are lost and bring them back to life. Jesus said a lot of things about this. He said he came to seek and to save the lost. And you're right. It's true. That's what God's up to. But it's only a part of the answer. There's more to it. And so we're going to look at this text this morning and find out what does Paul tell us in the book of Ephesians is the point, the thing that God's up to in the world that we live in. Now, if you got a little lost on verses 3 through 14, I, I understand. Uh, verse 3 through 14, in the Greek, it's one long sentence. It's one of the longest sentences in the Bible. It's 200 and something words long. And Paul... Just gets on a run and he keeps on going, and he heaps these image after image after image enough that uh, in, unless we really sit down and try to untangle the threads, you may have finished reading this and thought that sounds really interesting and I have no idea what he just said. Well, there's a lot going on here, but today we're going to look especially at verses nine and ten. Okay, we're going to talk about a lot of what else is going on in this passage next week, but today we're going to look at what's God up to and and. So we come to the heart of that in verses 9 through 10. Now, the way it is in the translation you have in front of you, if you're using a pew Bible, the sentence actually starts in verse 7. So I'll pick up again there. In Him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Here we come to the point. Making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth to unite all things in him things on he- in heaven things on earth paul says that's the point that's what god's up to so we, we need to talk a little bit about what that means uh, when i was we first come to this word mystery when i was in high school i went through this agatha christie phase where i started reading all these agatha christie books and reading uh, or watching some of some of the movies that have been made from these, and mystery novels are sort of tricky because they give you the impression that if you're paying attention, you should be able to figure out who done it, right? You, all the whole book, you're thinking who did it, who did it, and you think you probably have enough information to put it together, but you can't. Sorry, but you can't, right? I mean, unless you're better at it than I am, there's always something that you don't know. There's always some twist to it that you never really could have figured out. Um, because we don't have enough information, and you need. That's why we have the detective in all the Agatha Christie movies who puts it together for us, and then we have this big scene at the end where he walks us through uh, all the ins and outs of the mystery and explains everything to us. Uh, When I was in high school, one of the movies I watched was Murder on the Orient Express. What happens? Somebody gets killed on the train in the middle of the night, and the whole time you're thinking, who did it? the end of the movie, you find out about ten people did it. And they all came in and stabbed the guy. Now, if I spoiled that for you, the movie is 32 years old. You had your chance to watch the movie. I mean, I ruined the end of it for you. But what happens at the very end of the movie, you have no idea who killed everybody until Hercule Poirot, the uh, the detective in the story, comes in and puts all the pieces together for you. Without him, you never would have guessed who the killer was. Now, Paul is saying that this point of the universe is a great mystery. Okay, But for Paul, and the way it's used in the New Testament, the word mystery means something that was hidden and has now been revealed. Okay, It's not just something to figure out. It's something that was hidden, obscure, that has now been brought to life, brought to light. And here Paul tells us that God's plan for the universe is that all things would be summed up, would be united in Jesus Christ. Now, last week we said that Paul was a little bit like the crocodile hunter. This week he's a little bit like Hercule Poirot. He's the one who's going to let us in on the mystery. But the thing is, Paul is not saying, I'm the clever detective. I'm the one who put the pieces together. What he is saying is that this is something none of us would have put together unless God had revealed it to us, unless he had shown us, unless he had let us in on the mystery, unless he had told us what he was about. So it's a mystery, but that's something that was hidden that's now been revealed. Then in verse 10, we see this phrase that it's a plan for the fullness of time. And what Paul's saying is that this great plan that God is up to, this thing that He is up to, is something that's unfolding before our eyes. It's real. It's at work. It's growing. And it's not finished yet. Now, he's got his eye on a day when it really will be finished, when it really will come to completion, when we really will see all things united in Christ fully. Now we're going to talk about what that means in a minute, but just for now, Paul is saying that we're not there yet. He's borrowing the language of apocalyptic literature in his day and time. He's borrowing the language of looking forward to something that's going to come to its consummation. And what Paul is saying is, Jesus has started the ball rolling, and one day he is going to come back and he's going to finish the work. He's going to bring it to its fullness. He's going to bring it to its full completion. One way of thinking about this is before you even begin to build a house or a building, an architect has had to turn in the plans for that. Right? It's all schemed out. It's all mapped out. All the angles have been worked out. The building is not finished, but you know where it is going. You know what it's going to look like one day when it's finished. And it's going to become a completed product. God's plan is begun, but it's not consummated. And Then we get to the heart of this in verse 10. What's the point of all this? To unite all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. Now, if you're a William and Mary student and you're... um, You've been a part of RUF. Ben is teaching a series this semester on the book of Colossians, which is very similar to Ephesians and a lot of its themes. And Ben's title for his series is Jesus is a Bigger Deal Than You Think He Is. Uh, and that's exactly the point that Paul's making here, too. Jesus is a much bigger deal than you think he is. What's Paul telling us? That Jesus is going to be the one who sums up all things in the universe, all things in heaven, all things on earth. What he's saying is that things are broken. They are not the way they're supposed to be. Look at your own life. Look at how many broken pieces there are in your life. Look at the way that plays out in your relationships with other people. Look at the way that plays out um, with your neighbors as you try to experience working faithfully in your job. As you see so many of the projects that you undertake really come to frustration. We know the world is really not the way It's supposed to be. Great disagreement in the world about what the answer is. But people are pretty unified in understanding that this is not the way we want it to be and it's not the way that, in fact, it was meant to be. And Paul's point is that all those broken pieces are going to one day be brought back together. This brokenness, this alienation this fracture that runs right through our lives and right through all of creation is going to be healed one day. And we see glimpses of that now, but he says that one day in Jesus, all of that's going to be united. All of that's going to be brought to its completion and healing. Now, here's the thing about in Jesus that he says right here. He's not simply saying Jesus is the one who's going to accomplish this, Okay all the fractured parts of our world, of your life, of the universe. He's not just saying Jesus is the one who brings those back together, though he certainly is. He's saying that all of these are brought back together in him, that they only find their completion in him. Now, I've been wrestling all week with trying to get my hands around what exactly that means. Let me give you just a couple couple pictures, maybe, to help us get our hand on that. Imagine this. If, you have, if, you're putting, if you're somebody who puts together puzzles, we're doing puzzles with our kids right now. They all have 12 pieces. They're really simple. But you know what those puzzles are like that have 4 million pieces, that take a very big table in your dining room. For those of you that have ever tried to put together a puzzle like that, if, think about how long in the process, which goes days and days, it looks very incomplete. After a day or two, maybe you get the whole border. That's the easy part, Right? And then as the days progress, what do you see? Well, you see you, you see a tree starting to take shape over here with a lot of jagged edges. And you see a person pushing a buggy over here. A lot of jagged edges. You start to see a picture coming alive, but you don't see how all those pieces fit together. And that's the experience of a lot, for us now, in the middle of our lives now. Jesus has come and he's brought the good news of reconciliation that comes in him. And we see real significant glimpses of what that looks like. We get real taste of the glory of that. But so many of those pieces are still not fit together yet. We still don't see where they go in the scheme of things. And one day in Jesus, it's going to be made complete. Now, here's where this illustration breaks down. When you're done with that puzzle, you step away from it, and there it is. You are the person who did it and now you're done. But what Paul tells us is that Jesus is not only the person putting that puzzle back together, but even when it's put together, it only makes sense in him. Here's another, um, here's another picture. Imagine a beautiful woman who has a string of pearls and her necklace breaks. What does she do? She bends down and she begins to gather all those pearls that have just spread across the floor and restring them put them back together the way they're supposed to be. She ties it off. On the one hand, you have a thing of beauty, her beautiful necklace restored. But you don't see the picture of the way it's meant to be until she puts it on. A necklace is never meant to sit by itself in a box. It's meant to be worn. It's meant to enhance the beauty, to be shown off by the one who wears it. And that's something about the picture that we have here. That Jesus is not only putting everything back together, he's not only stringing the pearls back together, but he's the one who actually wears the necklace. That we only get its full glimpse of this universe the way it's supposed to be when we see it brought together in him. That those things can't be separated. Now there's some implications for us. Let me give you just a few. There's a lot of things we could pick up, even from the passage itself. But here are just a few thoughts. If this is really true, if the whole universe is going to be summed up in Jesus, then that means that all religion, all approaches to spirituality, they really are not all the same. The Bible tells us that the focus of all things is to be found united in Jesus. And that means that any religion or any philosophy or any individual life that's not constructed around the person of Jesus is never ultimately going to make sense in the scheme of things because that is only found in Jesus. It's not going to find its fullness, its coherence. It's going against the grain of the universe. So don't misunderstand. Christianity isn't simply saying that we prefer Jesus to be the center of our lives that we like the idea of him being the one that we order our personal lives around. No, God is telling us that all of heaven, all of earth, all being united, summed up in Jesus. It's making a bold statement, not of preference, but a bold statement of the way things really are, the way the universe is really created to be, and the way God is making the universe finally and fully to be. So one implication is, these things aren 't all the same. second implication is that Jesus is in the process of putting our own lives back together again. I said that the the theme kind of for our whole series in Ephesians is uh, becoming a community of grace. What does the book of Ephesians tell us about what it means for us as a church body to become become more a community of grace? Well, part of becoming a community of grace is that we walk alongside each other in this process of Jesus putting all our lives back together again. Now think about the difference between, let me give you two images, an art gallery and a flea market. Okay, An art gallery and a flea market. On the one hand, you've got an exclusive art gallery, pristine, classical music playing, wine and cheese being served in the corner. It's well-lighted. It's highlighting the beauty of the pieces of art that are on the wall. But everybody knows the unspoken rule about an art gallery. Look but do not touch, right? Because there it is, everything beautiful. Don't disturb it. Don't mess it up. Don't touch it. And for many of us, we really, really want to think that our lives are an art gallery. Full of beautiful pictures, pristine and clean, music playing in the background, everything swept. Everything's in order. We live in a universe that is still fractured and broken. And there are no art galleries. Think about a flea market. Everything you see in a flea market, to put it generously, is well-loved, well-used, right? And when you go to a flea market, if you've ever been to one and you're looking to buy something, what are you looking for? Not necessarily the thing that is beautiful when you look at it, but the thing that you know can become beautiful again. Right, you go to the flea market and you see the old beat-up dining room table. And you don't just see the cracks in the legs. You don't just see uh, the uneven stain. What you see is, I could take this home. I can sand it down. It can be beautiful again. You see the old silver candlestick. It's, it's bent. It's tarnished. And you think, we can straighten this thing out. We can polish this. It can be something again. We're looking not for beauty revealed, but beauty that can be brought out, something that can be made beautiful. And that is what it's going to mean for us to become a community that is growing in grace. Are we going to realize that we're people very much in the middle of the flea market and not the art gallery? Are we going to know that that is true for ourselves? And are we going to expect that the people around us are flea market goods too? And are they going to feel welcome here being that with all the mess? Let me give you, us, just one idea about how we might know if we start to get a hold of this. For those of us that are involved with home fellowship groups, and I'd encourage all of us to be. You're going to hear more about those next week. They're starting up. But if you're in a home fellowship group with other people in our church, at some point over the course of this year and hopefully at many points somebody in that room ought to share something that moves you to deep compassion somebody ought to open up the door of their life enough for you to see what is really going on and really step into that with them let me say this if you go through this whole year in your home group and nobody ever says anything that makes you think on your first reaction, I can't believe they just shared that, then we're probably not cracking the door enough. What's it going to mean for us to be people very much in need of a real savior? What's it going to mean for us to be people who know that we're not in the art gallery, but that we are well-used objects in the flea market? Now. Jesus is putting our lives back together. Let's just mention one other implication of this text, that Jesus is uniting all things. That becoming a community of grace is also going to mean that we realize that Jesus is putting the whole world back together again. And for us, it's going to mean having a circle of concern that reaches beyond the narrow scope of our own spiritual individual growth. It's got to be much bigger than that, because Jesus' concern is much bigger than just that. So one thing that's going to mean for us is what does it mean for us to really love our city of Williamsburg and to really love the world? What's it going to mean for us to actually care about the needs that are around us in our city? God cares about the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan. Scripture is full of his care for the very real practical needs of people. And if God cares about that, And if he's bringing all things together and healing all things, then we must also, then we must be a part of that too. And that's going to mean for us that we're going to have to be a community that is proactive and not simply reactive in addressing the needs that exist in the world around us. Now, some Christian traditions have one way of getting this wrong. By making mercy the only thing, the only thing that we're up to, the only thing that's good, what is Christianity? It's about meeting the practical needs of other people. But the truth is that mercy without Jesus isn't mercy. Now, for most of us, though, like most evangelical Christians in America, we fall off the horse on the other end. We get it wrong by thinking that physical needs don't matter, that somehow there's such thing as spiritual needs that exist in isolation, and that we're called to meet those, but not all the other stuff. And I would just say to that that I think Scripture tells us that Jesus without mercy and justice isn't Jesus. He brings healing for the whole universe. Sinners running in the opposite direction, reconciling them to himself. Lives that are broken. Systems that are broken in our world. His concern is large enough to embrace all of those things. And that's why all of your life matters. It's why what we do as a church matters. It's why how we reach out to our community matters. It's why your job matters. It's why your studies and school matter. See, we as individuals aren't the only items in the flea market. The whole world is. And we're called to care about those too. For those of you that are students, let me suggest this to you as you are in the middle of your studies. Be rightly idealistic and optimistic about your vocation, whatever it might be. Can you change the world? No. Can Jesus change the world? Yes, and he is. And we're called to be a part of that work. Jesus is about the work of uniting all things in Him. And if our vision about God's purposes have shrunk down to just this small circle of our own personal spiritual life, then we're missing the beauty of the whole landscape. We're missing the bigger picture. We've lost our horizons. And for some of us, that might be why some days... Life seems so small and narrow and stuffy. Your vision, your Jesus have become too small. Look up. Look around you. Join in Christ's work of uniting all things in Him. Let's pray. Father, You have purposes that stretch to every end of this universe. That you are going to bring real healing. That you're going to sum all things up in your son, Jesus. May we be a part of that work. I pray that you would open my eyes, open our eyes, that we might see more fully what you are up to, that we might embrace your purposes, that we might find our lives in your story rather than trying to simply cram you into ours. Lord, we pray all these things in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, who is the one who will sum up all things. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing hymn, number five.